But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now God had said, it's not good for the man to be alone. The design was to create an answer to man's needs, a suitable answer, a helpmeet, someone, as Moses said, comparable to the man. And so in verse 21, the text says that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, in light of this fact, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's design at the very beginning of time was one man, one woman, for life. Having said that, let's now turn to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, you remember Jesus, of course, has been doing a lot of preaching and teaching. And the Bible tells us that the Pharisees came to him on a particular occasion. Now, Matthew said they did so to test him. Really, what they were trying to do was ensnare him. And so they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason or for any cause? There were basically two schools of thought in the first century. The first school of thought by Rabbi Shammai said that in order for a man to put away his mate, there had to be some type of sexual impropriety or uncleanness found in him. And that was based on Deuteronomy chapter 24. The second school of thought was the school of Hillel. And they basically taught that a person, a man could put away his wife or mate for any cause, however trivial. If he decided to put her away, then he could do that. So after having asked that question, listen now to how Jesus answers a question with a question. One of his means of teaching people to cause them to think, to reflect. So ask this question, have you not read? And really when we talk about the pattern for the home, God's design for the home, one of the real problems that we face in society today is, quite frankly, people just haven't taken the time to read the greatest blueprint ever penned when it comes to the home. If you want to ensure that your marriage or your home is successful, then what you need to do is pattern your home after God's Word. You'll never go wrong doing that. I've never known of a couple having problems that has said, you know what, we're having all kinds of issues in our marriage, and the reason is because we're following the Bible. But the flip side is there are a lot of folks that have problems because they're not following what the Bible says. So Jesus asked the question, have you not read? Now, listen to how He answers this. Have you not read that He who made them at the beginning? Well, what's He doing here? He's going all the way back to what Moses recorded in Genesis chapter 2. 
Have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So what then is God's blueprint for a biblical marriage? In other words, how would we define marriage from a scriptural vantage point? One man, one woman for life. Now I know that we live in a day and time when there's a great deal of confusion when it comes to roles in the home. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, quite frankly, they're confused about their gender, and that's a whole nother discussion. We should never in any way try to malign or hurt another person. But our goal is to always try to teach the truth. So when we talk about marriage, and again, God is the Creator, correct? So if God is the Creator, and He's the one that made the man and the woman, and God said, I'm going to make a suitable answer, a suitable companion for him. God made not another man, but he made a woman. Well, why? Because the woman is the perfect complement to the man in every fashion, in every form. God said that marriage, biblically speaking, is one man and one woman a male and a female. That's not hard to understand. Now, I understand that we live in a world in which, as I said earlier, political correctness reigns. And there are folks in our world today that don't want to come down on anything that they feel like might be too dogmatic or narrow-minded. Well, we need to be as narrow-minded as God is when it comes to the marital relationship. And if we want to quibble with someone about the roles of marriage and genders who are eligible to marriage, then we need to take it up with the Lord. He's the creator and He is the founder of the marital relationship. So one man, one woman for life. But then there's a second thought here. We talk about the pattern for the home. Inherent in the pattern is the permanency of the home. Again, look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. I'll tell you what, go back and read verse 5 again. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, that is in light of what the Lord has just said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Some translations say, let not man put asunder. Now that's what the Lord said. God's design from the very beginning of time was one man, one woman for life. That law has not been repealed. Now somebody might say, well, what about 
under the old covenant? Or what about during the period of the patriarchs? You remember in the book of Genesis, we read about a fellow by the name of Lamech, who was the first polygamist. Well, that wasn't God's design. God never intended for man to step outside the boundaries that he had created. There were a lot of things that God tolerated under that old system that he does not tolerate today. And so the idea here in Matthew chapter 19, what Jesus is saying, and by the way, Jesus has all authority, and the Lord Jesus is going all the way back to the beginning and saying, all right, here's what God's original design or blueprint for the home is. There are three parties involved in every marriage. There is a male or a man, there's a female or a woman, and there's God. God is the one that joins the two parties together. Now that takes, it takes a lot of effort on the part of a husband and wife to become one. Why? Because you're talking about two distinct, separate personalities. And you're talking about trying to blend those two personalities together. We talked about some of the qualities of love last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Those qualities are necessary to maintain the permanency of the relationship. So when it comes to marriage and the permanency of marriage, there are some things that I think are very important. Number one, there has to be compatibility. You've got, to try to, you've got to try to find someone of the opposite sex that thinks like you think and in many ways strives to act like you act. That they understand that inherent in this relationship, this is a lifetime pact. That we're entering into this relationship, come what may, we're going to stay together. I had a buddy of mine, if I called his name, you'd know him. He said one time, somebody asked him about divorce, and he said, I never, ever thought about divorce. But he said, I did think about killing her. <laughs> well, the idea is that this union is for life. Now, again, you're talking about two separate, distinct personalities coming together under one roof. There has to be some type of compatibility some chemistry that exists between you and your partner. Otherwise, it's not going to work, is it? And then add to that, there has to be some core values. This really strikes at the heart of what we're talking about. What do I mean when I talk about core values in the home? Your perspective mate, those of you that are here that aren't married, what are you looking for in a mate? What kind of person do you see yourself spending the rest of your life with? Are they interested in spiritual things? Nothing wrong with being interested in secular things, but if they're more interested in the secular rather than the spiritual, it's going to be a tough road, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying it's impossible to make it. But what I am saying is, if you're not on the same plane, 
And if you don't, to some extent, think alike. I mean, if you have a partner, a marriage partner, that all he or she is concerned about is the world and the things of the world, and that's the consummation of their time, and you're more interested in spiritual things, there's going to be a problem there. There'll be a problem with how your money is spent or used. There'll be a problem when it comes to materialistic values and ideals. One of the, one of the reasons why a lot of marriages fail is because of money problems. Now, let me just say this very quickly. You know, as we grow older in life, or maybe I should say as we mature in life, we tend to look back and think about things that maybe had been said to us in days gone by that we brushed aside. We didn't pay a lot of attention to, but now retrospectively we look back and we think, you know what, those folks had, what, what they said was true. What they had to say resonates now. So let's just say that as a young person, you're dating somebody. And you've got friends and family members around you. And let's say that they begin to nudge you from time to time and say, you need to be careful. You need to be careful about the person you're dating because problems are down the road. Now, we can brush it aside and say, you know what, the old folks don't know what they're talking about. But listen, the older generation is perceptive. And they can see things that maybe as a young person we cannot see. And so what I would say is, if you have folks that are telling you to be cautious, to think about proceeding in your relationship, do yourself a favor. And step back and just begin to do some self-examination or inventory. And you think about what they said. The time to get a divorce is before you ever say, I do. There are a lot of things worse than walking away from dating someone for a period of time. There are a lot of things that are worse than terminating an engagement. Well, what do you mean? You hook up with somebody in the realm of marriage and you find out down the road that we don't necessarily see things eye to eye and that the things that people were pointing out were true. You're stuck. You don't just walk away from that. This is a, till you die, you're going to live in this arrangement. So the person that you marry, the person that you are thinking about marrying, this is not hope it works out, think it'll work out, we're planning on it. No, you have to go into this relationship with the idea, I don't care how bad things get, we're going to try to stay together. We are going to stay together. Now, that raises another question. What about somebody who's married to an individual? that is constantly engaging in domestic violence. 
somebody who drinks, takes drugs, somebody who is not responsible. Is that a biblical reason for walking away from a marriage? I'm going to answer it in one word, no. No. Now you can separate, but those are not biblical reasons for terminating a marriage. That's why it is so important to make sure that you are on the same page with the person you marry. And we talk about things that are important in life. This is probably outside of becoming a Christian. This is the most important decision you will ever make. I remember when I was in college, when I was going to Lipscomb, it was required of everyone to take a daily Bible class. That's just what they mandated. And so there were certain core classes we all had to take. And there were, whole, there were classes designed for the home prospectively. I remember one of my professors said one time, one of our professors said, you might marry somebody that you think is the most beautiful person in the world outwardly. He said, but I'm here to tell you, you marry somebody that's beautiful on the outside, but they're not beautiful on the inside. He said, it won't be long before you will look at that person in a whole different light. And you will no longer see beauty there. You'll see ugliness. Word of caution. Well, let's note the permission. Look again at Matthew chapter 19. Jesus, of course, has answered their question. But they're not satisfied with what the Lord has said. And again, the reason for their question is to test Him, to try Him, to ensnare Him in His speech. And so they raise this question in verse 8. Why then, or rather verse 7, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. Now listen again to what he said. But from the beginning, it was not so. Jesus, again, going all the way back to creation. I know Moses permitted, suffered, allowed you to put your mate away. But I'm telling you, from the beginning, it was not so. Now note, verse 9. Jesus said, and I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for fornication. Now, there are some translations. The translation I use is the New King James. I do not believe the New King James translates this correctly. The New King James says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. It's too broad. The word fornication is a very specific term. He's talking about sexual relations, 
outside the boundaries of marriage. Specifically, he's talking about unlawful sexual unions. Now, there's a difference in the words adultery and fornication. Fornication is the more generic word. Adultery is a more specific term. All adultery is fornication. But not all fornication is adultery. Two people that unite sexually who have never been married, they commit fornication. But when somebody steps within the boundaries of a marital relationship and begins to have sexual relations, then adultery has been committed. Now, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 9, And I say to you, listen to him, Whoever divorces his wife except for fornication does what? Commits adultery. Jesus here is granting permission to the innocent party in a marital relationship. Suppose you're married to a husband or wife. That husband or that wife violates that marital contract. They they step outside that relationship. They have sexual relations with another person. You have the right, but not the obligation, to put that person away. Now, you could take them back. Matter of fact, I would, I would suggest that in many cases, if that trust factor can be rebuilt and you're willing to forgive and take them back, then that's what you ought to do. But Jesus is saying, you're not bound by that. The Lord's saying, if, you, if there is a breach in your relationship and you come to the decision that because your husband, your wife committed fornication, adultery, You have every right to put that person away. Now, there is a prohibition. The innocent party has the right to remarry. The guilty party, that is, those who have violated that marital union, have committed adultery. They are not at liberty to remarry. So listen to what Jesus said. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now somebody might say, well, what does that mean? Let me just read it to you again. Whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. The question is not, can we understand what Jesus said? The question is, do we have a receptive heart to the teaching of Jesus? Now look, I understand this is a very emotional subject. I want you to understand something at the onset when we talk about the permanency 
and the permissiveness that is granted by the Lord, and then the prohibition. I have family members, family members that I love deeply that have violated Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Don't think for a minute that I'm going to step to the side and say, you know what, it really doesn't matter. I'm not going to give them the green light to stay in a sinful relationship. Now somebody says, well, can't they be forgiven? Let's say they're innocent. Can they? Yes, they can. But forgiveness requires what? Repentance, doesn't it? When the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and talked about that those who, those who engage in certain activities will not inherit the kingdom of God. You remember what he said? Fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals. Do you mean to tell me that those who live in that state cannot be forgiven? Not saying that at all. Matter of fact, Luke said in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So in verse 11... The Bible says, Paul said, and such were some of you, but you were washed. All right, question. The word were. Past, present, or future tense. You learned that in elementary school, didn't you? What do you think Paul was saying? Paul is writing to people who are members of the body of Christ that had lived lives filled with idolatry and immorality. And what Paul was saying is, look, that's how you once lived, but you're not like that anymore. So that being said, if someone is in an unscriptural relationship, can they stay in that relationship and be right with God? The answer, unequivocally, no, they cannot. Does it hurt me to say that? Yes, it does. Years ago, I had a there was a lady that came forward one Sunday morning. She came forward, and I believe she had every intention to try to get her life straightened out. And so she wanted to meet the following night. The following night, we met at the church building. Her husband came with her. She began the conversation by saying, I've been married before, but my husband committed adultery. I said, okay. And then she turned right around and said, but I also committed adultery. Well, now we got a problem. And then her husband, I don't know how many times he had been married, don't know what his past state was. But I remember he, began, he became angry because we were looking at what the Bible said. And he asked the question, where is the grace and mercy of God in all of this? I said, well, the grace and mercy of God, it's present. But you can't continue to live a lifestyle that is not sanctioned by the Scriptures. And then I said this to him. I said, look, if you're looking for somebody in the city of Memphis to give you the green light to live in your marital state, I said, I promise you, you'll find them. And I said, I assure you, I said, there are also congregations that out front, the sign says Church of Christ. 
And there are people within churches of Christ, they too will give you the green light. But I'm here to tell you, if they say that, they are telling you false doctrine. Now look, I don't enjoy confrontation or conflict. And I don't like telling someone that they're living in sin. But I have no authority to tell someone something other than what the Lord taught. Jesus said, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And you remember what God the Father said, Matthew 17, 5? This is my beloved Son, hear Him. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven, and that includes marriage. Marriage is not exempt from doing the will of Almighty God. Now look again at Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, the disciples then asked this question. If such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And then Jesus said, All cannot accept this saying, but only to those whom it is given. Is everybody going to be receptive to this kind of teaching? You know that answer. I know that answer. There are folks that have been trying to circumvent the teaching of Jesus Christ for years and years when it comes to the marital relationship and divorce. Let me tell you what. Here's what the psalmist said. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. I don't have to go back and restudy the issue because Jesus, what He said was the authoritative voice and what He said stands today. So now listen to what He said. There are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. You know what Jesus is saying there? To those who are in a relationship not sanctioned by what Scripture teaches, if they want to go to heaven, they have to make the choice. And they have to live a celibate life. That's what the Lord said. I'm not here to argue the point. I'm not here to quibble over what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. If you disagree with what the Lord said, my, my statement to you, take it up with Him one day. He's the one that set the laws in motion, not me. I'm just the messenger, the mailman, if you please. So what about loyalty? to understand that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Does the Lord want us to be loyal to Him and His teaching? The answer, you know that answer, sure He does. When it comes to the marital relationship, to be loyal to our mate, to understand, look, there are going to be tough times. I don't know of anyone who lives on the mountaintop forever. You're going to have troubles and trials and you're going to face some things sometimes that are going to try your faith.
But the resolve has to be on the front end. Look, I don't care what comes our way. Together and with God's help, we're going to make it. We're to live a faithful life until death, aren't we? As a mate. When I got married years ago, I pledged in the eyes of Almighty God, before God and before my bride, that I would, that I would stand by her until death. And I intend to keep that promise or pledge. And my prayer is that you will do the same. That might be that you're here today. It might possibly be that your marriage is not what it ought to be. What I would encourage you to do is go back and start reading what the Bible has to say. And you take what the Lord said and you make application to your life. The goal is to one day be in heaven, isn't it? That's, that's the goal. We don't want to allow anything to obstruct us from hearing the Lord say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen to what John said many years ago. Blessed are they that keep His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. I want you to know that the lesson today, though hard, it's tough. I'm, I'm here. It's a tough, tough subject. It is a very emotional subject. And I understand that. But I want you to know that from the bottom of my heart, my goal has been to deliver this lesson with love. Concern for your soul, the souls of those who may be watching this by way of of the internet or those who will watch later on YouTube or our Facebook. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, it might be that you're married, maybe you're not married. If you want to enjoy a successful, prosperous life, it begins in Christ. That's where it all begins. So my encouragement to you would be to come to Christ to recognize that Jesus Christ laid His life down for you that He wants you to be in heaven with Him forevermore. What would you need to do? Well, you've got to obey the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be immersed in water. And whatever is in your past will be just that. It will be in your past. That's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man's in Christ, all things are passed away. All things have become new. When you're immersed in Christ, you enjoy forgiveness. God put you in the church, and the goal is to get to heaven one day. If you're here today, maybe you need to respond to the invitation. Maybe you want to just try to set things right in your life, and you think that by coming forward that that would help you accomplish that, to repent, to try to get back on the right track. We encourage you to come as we stand and sing.